Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Contact Centre Supremo, founder <laughs> of the Fab Group, and a good friend of mine, Gary Gormley. Hello, mate. Martin, how are you? <laughs> good to be I'm back. Good. It is. It's, well, it's good to have you back. I was. We were thinking, well, you sang before we recorded, so maybe you could give us a few, a few bars of how are you feeling today? <laughs> It's the morning's here, sunshine is here. I know it's the afternoon, but um, yeah. that's the sunny disposition is how I'm feeling. You have a sunny disposition. Um, we've spoken a lot of times, haven't we, recently? And we are going to talk about something that we both spotted. Um, it's kind of worked because it was a headline grabber, right? It was uh, about our industry and the, the title that they used and the conclusion that they came to was our industry is on the brink of collapse and it was a survey commissioned by a technology provider who said they went out to a thousand contact center decision makers we could talk about maybe what that means um and they summarized that because we're seeing higher wait times higher call volumes uh increased attrition and uh, uh, a greater number of outages they were saying which I found strange that they said based on those things our industry is on the brink of collapse discuss yeah I, I, I'm totally with you it's definitely a headline grabber and it's it's one of those that's intended to I suppose make you read on and to be fair I think a thousand people is that is a representative sample Again, it'd be interesting to understand of those a thousand people, what do they define as a decision maker? How many of those came from technology vendors, providers, and and what's the the bias if there is any? Um, and I and I think as someone who works very closely with operational leaders, contact center managers, and networks with a lot of them, I don't hear any of them turn around and saying we're on our knees and we're, we're on the brink of collapse. What I do hear is the struggling to recruit, uh, the struggling to retain good staff, they're, they're struggling to balance the, the remote and the hybrid nature of a post-COVID era, um, and that they're constantly trying to improve things like CSAT, MPS, and operational efficiency. But I don't hear anybody turning around and saying, um, we need to shut up shop. The the contact center isn't working as it should do. It's we've got too much attrition that we can handle. Yes, granted, it's a challenge, but I don't hear any of them saying that they're on the brink of collapse. What was interesting as well is this was the writers of the report and their edit their editorial summary of their findings. So they were saying if you take all of these things, what that equals is. Um, the industry's on the brink of collapse. And I, I wondered whether if that had been the final question, do you think our industry's on the brink of collapse? Whether, the, I, I would guess, and it is a guess, but I would guess that those people that were surveyed, depending on who they are, would say, no, no, we're not. <laughs> this is... It's like family fortunes, isn't it? Our survey said... <laughs> 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 if they've not asked that question... Um... How can they effectively summarise that headline, which mm. I think is um, 
is is a is a definitely it's a headline grabber. It's it's there to to make you read. But um, even the the stuff that was in the report, though, I don't necessarily believe that that conclusion can be drawn mm. from the questions that they've asked because mm. they're asking questions around efficiency. They're asking questions about recruitment and attrition. And yes, they're they're a challenge. Have they ever not necessarily been a challenge? <laughs> I don't know anybody yeah. that's ever turned around and said, oh, yeah, we've had it easy for the last 10 years with attrition because <laughs> we have. Yeah. <laughs> the nature of contact centres is that people see them as jobs where they will enter into it for a period and then leave it for a period. We all know that that doesn't necessarily need to be the case because the career mobility and the, the career pathways that exist in contact centres are awesome. Uh, I think we're both examples of that. Um, but it, I think it's still seen as a bit of a, an entry-level start-up, start-up, start-entry job, um, whereas it doesn't need to be. Um, but I think some of the stuff that they've drawn from it, I think that they're, they're reaching to get that conclusion. They are. And it it does... You, you, hit, you spoke earlier around the things that are probably prevalent. Well, they are prevalent to the people you're supporting, talking to, interacting... And I can absolutely echo that with what are the what are the key things that people are concerned about and does that all add up to being on the brink of collapse? Maybe they feel like they're they're close to burning out, but certainly not the industry being um, on the brink of collapse. But it does make you think about what are the things that we need to come together to address in our industry that will need a collective approach or at the very least a collective agreement that they're issues um it does lend itself to you thinking right where are we as an industry and what what should we be focusing on what what do you think are the from you mentioned some of them if you had to choose your top three um do you know what I think the three things that I think as an industry we could probably round table on really, really well um, is how we start to tackle things like recruitment um, and how we maybe approach recruitment slightly differently in the selection process, in the, the way in which we're recruiting people nationally now um, with remote hybrid bricks and mortar working i think that's something that we could all get a bit more best practice from um, and learn specifically based on your operating model what works what doesn't work and how we can make that recruitment machine um a little bit slicker um i think the other thing is that whole attrition piece is there there is there isn't a contact center that i i speak to that doesn't have um i wouldn't say significant um attrition problems but they are feeling the pain um on attrition and specifically on that whole um external piece where they're losing people quite early on um in that probationary period um or that at least that first 12 months and i think that goes back to the the initial point that we we're talking about there around recruitment i'd say recruitment and onboarding is probably the the joint piece there that helps stem some of that attrition but i think we also need to look at attrition as both external and internal because internal can still be a positive thing and we can have a high volume of attrition um but we have to separate the two so right, have we got a, a, an external leakage ch challenge or actually we're we doing a really good job at internally promoting people 
and as a consequence, seeing people move from help desks, service desks, that are the natural places for people to, to gravitate towards. And I think probably the other one is then how we better leverage technology. I think the, what I've seen, I'm, I'm, this is typical of a lot of clients at, over the past two years, is we've moved from having maybe an on-premise solution or a technology solution that did a bit of voice, did a bit of this, to now a fully omni-channel customer suite with bells and whistles for QA, bells and whistles for speech analytics, knowledge management plugins here, workforce management plugins there. And I, and I think there is now a, a gap in the, the knowledge and understanding of how to maximize that so that we can drive the efficiencies, drive process improvement, and use that to improve customer experience, use that to improve continuous improvement. And I do that because that's my little infinity loop. Um, and how we can then use that to alleviate some of the pressure that is on the uh, on the frontline agents. So I think it's about leveraging what we've all now just gone out and bought um, to improve the overall experience. So those would probably be my three. But if you ask me again in half an hour, they probably... <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on. Let me just repeat these. So recruiting in and onboarding as one. I think recruitment of and the onboarding process for new people. How do we make that better? Yeah, okay, one. Number two was how we're dealing with attrition. Yeah. And, number and three how we separate the two out in terms of that internal... Positive attrition. Positive attrition. And the actual thing that is the problem, which is external attrition, uh, linking back to, I suppose, that early tenure piece. Mm. And then the final one is how do we leverage technology um, to make the most of what we've all now gone out and bought? I, I, I love that. And, and of those, let, let's, let's chat about those three then. So number one recruitment and um onboarding i think there's some people doing some really in creative stuff when it comes to recruiting and interacting with their local community which is strange when you think we're all able to to recruit nationally but i see some people going out and interacting with um further education so marianne going to Portsmouth Uni and people like that, Marianne Withers at the Verity Centre. Um, and that engagement with local community, for me, seems like a definitely one of the areas to, to focus on. Yeah, you know what? I, I, the, the demographic that we bring into the contact centres is usually very young. I know that's, that's swung probably because of COVID and how different generations want to work and the, the ability now to work from home and have a more flexible work-life balance. But typically it's younger people that tend to come in. So I think our interaction with schools, colleges, work fairs, I mean, I, I did some work with um, a client that was looking at people who were out of work on benefits and how we then scale them up to mm. customer service to then promote them into positions with outsourcers. Um, I think there's more that can be done with, with programs like that, that actually give people the skills whilst mm. they might be out of work, whilst they might be struggling to get a job, we equip them with the relevant skills and then say, actually, right, you are now, you've got the brilliant transferable skills of customer service that you can either go and apply that in retail, you can go and apply it in, in different industries, but actually it's really targeted to contact centers and using those to potentially help bring the skills or bridge the skills gap 
uh, that might be out there for people like the unemployed. That's really interesting. I love that. There's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when, if you're, we're both very proactive on sharing a positive message about uh, our industry from a recruitment point of view, and it's you can have a great career. And part of me was always thinking, oh, you hear like these types of reports or an article in uh, the media, and there's some tired go-to kind of memes and tropes and subjects that the media can go to. And you think, oh, if only there was a way that we could give a different story. But maybe I've been looking at it the wrong way in that it's not media top down, it's community bottom up. So each each intake or each generational, the people that in, that are coming into the industry for the first time, if if that if they can have a positive perception, um, or even before they're just considering the industry, that kind of outreach and going out and saying, you know, being prepared to to get things thrown at you, as you say contact center industry is a good place to come and work yeah i mean what i always used to love doing when i was in the operation and, and leading a team when the new intake comes into induction for the first time i was always really proactive in going into the induction welcoming welcoming to the to the business and just telling my stories that started on the phones got given opportunities in projects and user acceptance testing for new systems and then finding leadership roles off the back of that and then growing that and then bigger teams and bigger teams. And then ultimately I'm now as a result of working in contact centers, running my own contact center consultancy and outsourcing business. Um, now I didn't say that to the intake at the time because that <laughs> hadn't actually happened then, but telling them the story of yeah. mobility and actually if you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. And actually the contact center as a, career pathway you've got actuarials you've got marketing you've got finance you've got hr you've got training all of those industries that everybody accepts in non-contact center related worlds as yeah i want to get into training i want to do that nobody thinks about mm. that when mm. they're strapped there with a the headset on and i think it's mm -hmm. just been really clear as an industry what mobility they've got and the and the salaries that are available as well because mm. people always mm. associate contact centers with low paid average salary jobs mm. and actually there's loads of jobs in the contact center that pay very very well indeed so you can have a really well established career that's centered around contact center and i think you you hit the nail on the head there around that phrase that we all know and love started on the phones because when you when it was bricks and mortimer mortimer <laughs> <laughs> when you were reeves and i was <laughs> When it was bricks and mortar, um, predominant, like 100%, being able to walk around a big contact centre and I can remember going into the HR team and they were sat next to the L&D team and I would say, nine, and this is a you know thousand seat contact centre, but 90% just of those two departments were people that had started on the phones, come into both HR and learning and development and then gone on to get qualifications in those areas. And you make such a good point that that entry into something like that, you're getting a stepping stone, you're getting ahead of the game by coming on. Do you think though, 
that we still need to do something about the actual role that people on the phones do because it's kind of like look if you can survive there like a gladiator type approach then you can become a trainer and train other gladiators you know it's kind of it it's how do we how do we address that one you know what it's um it's it's a difficult one isn't it because I think it, it gets underestimated the skills that a contact center agent has mm. um, and the experiences that they have to have to put with them. When I when I talk to people and say, right, if you imagine your contact center agent is probably working across six different systems, maybe reading a, a script off one screen. So they've got dual screens, uh, they've got X amount of systems on this one, they've got X amount of that one, they're having to listen to you talk and probably make some notes and then think about what their response is whilst also thinking, I've got to make sure I can't say this because that could maybe be leading them or advising them in a way if it's a regulated environment. And at the same time, you're asking them to smile and use emotional intelligence and be delivering really great service. What other role in business asks you to do all of those things and then has the perception that it's an entry level role. My applause, oh, applaud emoji because even just one interaction like that is just how you're portraying it. The mental load is high. It's not just one, it's potentially a hundred a day continually. Mm. And um, if, if anyone else in another customer facing industry in retail, for example, you're not going to have that volume and that complexity with the regularity that you're going to get in a in a contact center so you're dead right it isn't a here's a factory line take this box here and move it over there you know it's yeah. it's complex and we're asking people to do more and more complex stuff the problem solving and um that real customer engagement that often comes with untangling something or providing a a different type of solution yeah. it's it's i think jimmy hosang used this phrase so I, I can't copyright it but i think it's um he, he referred to it being cognitive overload it's a yeah. cognitive overload of information that we're asking an agent to do for seven hours straight yeah. and then we wonder why sometimes they have a they have a bit of a meltdown and maybe they, they throw the, the toys out the pram and don't feel great about doing the job but we've got to remember that they're doing a difficult job. And I think sometimes the further up you get in the contact center, the further you can be removed from the reality of what um, a contact center agent does on a day-to-day -day basis. And I mean, I remember um, working in the contact center and they said, why can't they just read the script? When you're getting QA fails, how hard is it to read a script? And I've probably been guilty of saying it myself, if I'm brutally honest. Um, but actually, when you talk about all those things, it's not just about reading the script. It's about listening to what they're saying, thinking about the response that you want to give so that it maybe doesn't sound scripted, um, and then updating all the different systems and all the other things that we just talked about. So when we say, how hard is it to read a script? It's not about that. It's about the, the cognitive overload um, that we're giving our people and, and being appreciative of that, I think. And I think that is probably why sometimes when we look at that recruitment and onboarding piece 
is maybe why we see early attrition, because no matter what uh, somebody who hasn't got contact center experience um, will think the job is like, it's probably 10 times harder than they actually think it is. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that feeds into what we probably need to be right at the start of um, the, the interview process is really clear, really transparent. Um, and actually, I think we, we need to put people through the paces. I always say in the contact centers, if you're not asking somebody to do a bit of a telephone role play, then you're missing a trick because actually you can you can test their ability to multitask mm. um, and mm. give them a flavor of the type of activities that they're doing just by strapping a headset onto them and giving them a few things to update. And like, we want you to update these systems and make these notes. And it creates a bit of realism mm. as to what, what they might do. But I think a lot of people still don't do those role plays because of time and maybe experience and because they think, oh, maybe it's overkill for a, a 21, 22 grand entry level job, but you've got to remember you're asking them to do quite a difficult job. Mm. Uh, even after they've been recruited, I was a passionate advocate of, of role plays and actually asking people to um, embrace being uncomfortable with this mm. because it's the same as anything. If you can make training harder than reality, yeah, it it just it it does help. It's kind of it's where you grow. Let, let's let's embrace it. And I'm right behind you on it's it's insane that we would be looking to recruit people to communicate and multitask without exploring that in the in the in the recruitment stage. And um, once you've got them through the door, a favorite topic is you know, onboarding academies, grad bays. And there was um agent engagement study by Contact Babel. And they did some data analysis, which I think is relevant, is if there were they found like the eight thing, there's about eight things, or they summarized them as eight topics, uh, eight headings, sorry, of what people do uh on that in onboarding. And if they found a correlation, if a contact center had done five of these or more, they had a third better, that 30% at least, I think it was, um, someone can go and find it. It's available. It's, I'm sure it's the agent engagement study that's been out this summer. Um, they were, they produced in terms of that six to 12 month attrition figure, like a 30%. Wow. higher than those that were five or less and it's it's the some of the things that you one of them that you mentioned that you did is in there which is a meeting with exposure to the opportunity to talk to the slt or executives and or executives was was in there um and there were some really really nice things kind of you know that early even before you've arrived, yeah. uh, some sort of welcome pack, welcome pack. introduction yeah. to who your boss is. Yeah, I mean, people we, were doing videos. Yeah, video in video inductions and video introductions, even, um, and just the things like the nice feely stuff. It's like the, the I mean, getting a mug with the the company's name on it and stuff. It's like you want to feel attached to the brand mm. um, that you join in. So I think those things they all. What they do is they reaffirm your choice because each person that joins a, an organization, they've made a choice to join your organization. So they've chosen you. So we should be really privileged that somebody has made the decision to choose 
to work for us rather than somebody else. So actually in sending all those great things out and being a bit more special and treating them special during that onboarding phase just reaffirms that they've made the right choice. Um, and I think that can only be a good thing. How how long were your the academies that you were two weeks or three weeks or less? So or it, it links to I suppose the complexity of the the role um and the whether it's um an advised non-advised campaign and the level of supervisory activity that's required um typically induction i'd say you're talking maybe three three-ish weeks depend upon again products and all that kind of stuff but we used to run a model office if you like or a, or a graduation bay over suppose mm. the period of the first three months and saying right actually speed to competence wise by the end of month three you should really be able to be let loose onto mm. the world um, mm. without supervision. Um, but I think it it goes back to what's the amount of support that you're providing in that um, graduation period? Um, because there's no point in having a model office if you're going to have one model office manager to 10 reps. <laughs> yeah. <You've gotta, laughs> you're just never going to get around everybody. And it's just yeah. the whole process. So I think it's, it's investing in... A model office format um but then saying right what does the model office look like so is it three to one supervisory ratio is it one to four and actually do we increase that as people become more proficient and understand more and actually is there an argument to say we phase people's um products and phase people sign off on different skills different ways of working but you've then got to think about all the stuff that then goes with that it's to say right actually it means people won't be as proficient so you've got to add that into shrinkage and then you've got to say right actually this is the the number of people that we're going to then need to recruit this is the attrition that we expect in in induction and build all that into the cap plan i think sometimes what we do is we create these great plans but then we don't factor it into the resource plan and then what happens is you've got somebody standing over you saying right we need these people signed off quicker how do we get them on the, just get them on the phone yeah mm. and I, that's stuff that i've i've heard in the past and it's stuff that i still see now is to say right just train them on this bit and then we'll we'll catch up with the rest later and that just mm. creates that bottleneck um and it just makes people feel undervalued in that first three months which is the critical piece really isn't it it's to say right i i need to make my choice around who i'm going to work for and then I need to feel within the first three months that I've made the right choice because you treated me as as I as I expected you to have treated me um, as a new employee into the business. And I think we just need to say, right, if we're going to have a grad bay, have a grad bay and resource with that grad bay with the right coaches, the right mentors um, and factor it into the plan so that you've got the capacity within the contact centre so that you're not turning around and saying, right, get these moved on quicker or just get them on the phones, get them taking messages. Um, and sometimes it's called for. There might be the odd day or so where actually backs against the wall. Something's just gone horribly wrong. Can we use that resource tactically? But it can't be the norm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And, and actually there, it felt, and it, I think it still feels like there's an industry around speed to competence. Do you remember the phraseology like plug and play? The, one of the features and benefits of anyone, any technology provider that talked about that was 
you don't really need to spend any time training people anymore. You literally plug them in and they're ready to play. Um, and it it does lead it did lead to a bit of a kind of like conscript mentality, which is right here you are, here's your gun, that's the naughty bit, off you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> and rather than like you've said, this kind of um, I mean I loved academies and grad bays. I absolutely love them because it was the first time where and again this took investment and support from senior leaders and it being factored into costs and all that kind of stuff but when we got there what it meant was it's the first time that we've been able to do um we would follow cohorts so we'd say right this this is intake one yeah and we're going to watch it we're going this is our induction plan for intake one and then we're going to watch them when they go out into the world how do they perform how long do they last and then we're going to take intakes one's results and feed that back into you know your infinity symbol this around what have we learned and i can hand on heart say no two inductions were ever the same our induction plan was being constantly refined based on what each data set each group of people were now it may be that we tinkered too much (laughs) when people were like what's been the improvement that you've made and what's been the result and why did you make it we maybe got a bit too complex but that's like seven up isn't it let's watch them as they 70 year olds leaving the contact center (laughs) (laughs) the documentary crew yeah um (laughs) maybe that's another kind of get out of rap series that we just follow a whole not to their 70 but (laughs) around that whole onboarding um uh experience and process and i think do you think we talk uh, because we we talk about the job and becoming competent at the job but do you think we spend enough time you know the future state and the visioning and understanding maybe even developing some of those career pathways at that point do we do enough of that i I think some do. I wouldn't say we do it consistently. Um, I've seen some organisations that literally, here's the, the heads of, the directors, these people came from the floor, um, and some don't reference it at all because it's just about you need to get proficient in this before you, you you move on to others. And I think that's where you you kind of selling yourself short a little bit is to say, right, if people can see a clear career progression um then it, it keeps people motivated i mean not everybody's motivated by a, a commission not everybody's motivated by money people can be motivated by the fact that they they want to join a reputable company and they want to see the the options available to them if they want to not everybody wants to progress i mean i i, yeah. I know telesales people who've been on the phones for like 30 years <laughs> like you're yeah. gonna move on no happy with doing what I'm doing and that's absolutely fine yeah. people like yeah. that at the same time. Yeah. Um, but for people who, who want to strive to do something different and turn it into a, a a senior level career then those options should be clearly pointed out to them because drives drives people's ambition mm, definitely okay so we've solved number one that's done um <laughs> but well to rides I don't know yes. about solving it but, but well you're welcome it. Gary's done it for us. Um, Number two, attrition. And you you make the 
key distinction around positive attrition and um, negative. What's what are you seeing? Are you seeing anything different at the moment, or is it still? You know, I'm seeing attrition on the on the rise. Um, certainly, in some of the centres that I've sat down and looked at capacity plans with, and said, right, how is it all forming? And I think the the bigger piece is the external attrition. Uh, and I don't know whether it's um, as a consequence of COVID and people have maybe done couple of years in the contact centre now they've got that opportunity to move into other industries other sectors um that that has a as a as, has a part to play i suppose but yeah definitely seeing some more movement um in people's attrition line it's starting to to increase and i i think what typically tends to happen when we face periods like we are now where we're using the the r word um, and the economy is becoming a bit more unstable or uncertain. Um, what you tend to see is those that were thinking of leaving now defer that leaving reason. What that creates is potential toxic work cultures where people are staying because they have to stay rather than because um, they they want to stay. So I think as maybe we enter into half two of this year, and the uncertainty starts, we probably need to think about if we suddenly see a stop in our attrition, what's, what's, is that as a consequence of something that we've done that's mm. positive? Um, yeah. Or is it because people are just hedging the bets about what's going to happen? Because ultimately what will then happen is once it's all hunky-dory again, you'll just see a mass exodus. So it'll be interesting to see how attrition changes over the next six months. Um, and then again, in a six months after that, if we did that as a series, that'd be interesting um, because it's been on the rise now that we're seeing more uncertainty in energy in inflation in economy. I think it will start to drop again. Um, but with that drop comes behavioral traits that might not be desirable. So it'd be interesting. Oh, to see what yeah, you make such a good point. The, the kind of the hunkering down right so let's weather the storm I'm better to stay where I am than go out right now I mean there's a cost of living storm right out there are you mental that is going to manifest itself. that's going to come out in other ways it's going to be you know you'd, you'd maybe look at absence going up you'd maybe look at people's mental health dropping so, and then you know and and therefore the outcomes of performance dropping however you measure it um it it's pretty bleak yeah and I, and I think this is where contact center senior leaders have to start to think about how do we demonstrate flexibility to people how do we identify those people in the contact center that are vulnerable um is as, as in themselves vulnerable we talk about vulnerable customers a lot but we don't necessarily always think employee vulnerability so have they got dependents have they got high outgoings are they in debt are they going to be struggling is, is that going to cause sickness absence so it's how do we start to create maybe packages for that or just recognize that um, and equip team leaders and, and people to have those conversations and be comfortable talking about it openly but then i think it's also saying right flexibility in location salary is generally we tend to link salary to business performance metrics. 
we're, we're seeing inflation approaching double digits. So when we start to think about pay rises and then we start to do recruitment freezes or we start to do pay freezes, that creates a whole level of uncertainty and anxiety in contact centers that people then think, how am I going to pay my bills? So there's loads of things that I think as a senior leadership team, that needs to be on the boardroom table to say, right, this is what's happening with the economy. This is what's happening with the, the stability in the contact center. Are people going to be thinking losing jobs? Are we going to think of making redundancies? I mean, I just saw one um, business lo local to Manchester, like just going to administration overnight. Um, so people will see that on, on people's feeds and then they'll start to worry internally themselves. So I think we have to be really open and really transparent, uh, but also start to think about how we can support employees so that they feel um, valued, they feel recognised and they feel supported. Uh, well, bravo. Yeah, I completely concur. That kind of the support and when you and you mentioned that really well in terms of like the ripples, right? So it's people worrying not just about themselves, but their families, their partners, yeah. everything. And um, and you touch on something that I think we always just we we accept. I'd love there to be someone really disruptive, and and take a, a fresh look at salaries that we're paying people that are dealing with customers are our agents, our frontline customer service stars. I know that it's a different world, but um, there's a guy, there was a guy in Silicon Valley who just said, I did, I wanted to pay, he paid everyone in the company. I think it was something, it's like $70,000. And- um, Got any jobs? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of the company. I remember what he looked like. Um, and it was just, it was a, the game changer they're still going they're doing really well it's kind of like the the four day week people yeah. the vanguard of just going doing something different and maybe it's i'm being wildly naive but to really take it from that cost center to customer engagement center and flipping it on its head and saying let's pay the people that we are gonna that are gonna drive our customer engagement and therefore ROI, repeat business, they're, they're customer facing experts, let's pay them a, a brilliant, a brilliant wage and figure out how we how we then pay it. I mean, Rather don't, than... get, don't get me started with what's just been recently published in the news about senior exec salaries in oil companies. I can imagine the frontline agents in their businesses are paid far from the market average. Um, and I can't say that for certain, but I, I think that the point you're making there is a really interesting one is to say, right, when we start to think about salaries across all different levels, um, it's how do you how do you justify the right salary for the right roles? Um, and I think it's, it's a difficult one because I think sometimes we're led by the market average. Um, sometimes we're led by our competition. Uh, I was speaking to a, a a chat this morning who his his center was offering 25k company like bt comes along and offers a much bigger salary um i mean these guys were in the uh the, the app development space but all of a sudden seven people overnight decide to go for a job at bt and um, mm -hmm. you end up putting yourself into a difficult position but 
it, what what is the right salary for the role and what's a fair and equitable salary and that's the bit that i say is that i want to be able to offer salaries to those that are working in my contact centers as an outsourced business where they're not necessarily going to have to worry about how they pay the bills how much is a loaf of bread um but at the same time every contact center has a pnl we've got to manage our spend we've got to manage customers money yeah. at the same yeah. time um so it's doing that in the in the most fair and practical way um but i think the bit that i hear all the time from contact center frontline agents is when there is um an inequality in the pay amongst other people mm. so that's particularly when you say right we, you, we brought you in five years ago and you were here we're mm. now because of the how the market's changed we're bringing people in at a higher rate that are doing the exact same job, but we're, we're not going to bring you up to that rate or we're going to do it in a, in a phased way. That mm -hmm. just screams inequality. And that, I think that drives attrition um, and that drives cultural and behavioral um, issues with, with your team. So I think it's whatever you do, you have to be consistent and you have to apply it consistently. Um, but I, I think it's, it's going to be a challenge over the next few months because you've got the October energy cap you've got the january one and depending on what happens there that could be taking up a 30 percent, 35 percent of an agent's salary in mm -hmm. utilities alone so and this it, and whilst we are saying we're not on the brink of collapse there's some there's a combination of things happening that by themselves would have been a challenge yeah coming together so you know covid um centers bringing people back kind of or on mass or you then got um rising transport costs you've got the energy you've got the energy crisis inflation going up as you say um it is going to be a tough time but i do think in the maybe this is just the optimist is we're a hardy creative bunch and maybe born out of this necessity there will be some interesting and things happening and maybe this leads on to your third point around technology then and even if you don't invest in new technology make sure that you're absolutely squeezing the one you've got yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I i mean it's it's like <laughs> like I, I equate it to um, maybe having like a really expensive whiskey um, that you never drink, having a really expensive telephony system that you're not really using all the bells and whistles with. It's it's, it's actually criminal. It's uh, a good whiskey is there to be drunk. No, a good telephony I, I'm sorry, is there Gary. To be used. I, I've got to stop you, and that's because of childhood trauma. Not child. My parents were very responsible, but um, <laughs> I I played football for an adults team um, when I was like. 14 um and they were squaddies and very irresponsibly they got me drunk on whiskey and ever <laughs> since then i can't even smell it so we'll have to use a different you'll have to use a different maybe like a, uh, a nice rich gym <laughs> <laughs> that'll do <laughs> that'll do but you're right. <laughs> yes and um do you see that a lot then that people have you yeah. you might be working with them you might be they might be utilizing your services and you kind of go you're not even you know you've got this here yeah and i think what i see is people switch things on 
they're not geared up for it in a way that they imagine themselves to be. So they switch it off and it never gets switched back on. Um, or they've got, say, for example, speech analytics, and it's being used for a sliver of what its capability could actually be put towards. And again, that's like you can use it to identify demand and then switch off the demand and then you can use it to improve complaints and customer experience you can use it for positive reward and recognition but it just gets used for the basics to say right let's identify if there's a uh, advice being given here let's identify a, a customer complaint phrase there and not much more is then done with it so you have to have strategies for the technology but i think what's happened is we've bought tech and we've bought it for the purposes that we needed it for because we needed to get everybody working from home remote. So we needed it in the cloud. We needed soft phone and we've now got web chat. We've got chatbots. We've got speech. We've got a, a WFM platform, but we're not feeding the forecast in uh, and using it to project what the calls are or, or something like that. Um, and that's just this criminal art. It's, use it to enhance your experience but also use it to enhance the people experience and make life easier so if it's about channeling demand somewhere if it's about optimizing the ivr so that you're putting self-serve in it or you're creating more messaging to kind of alleviate some of the demand that comes into the contact center or you're using a chatbot um configure the chatbots so that it works as it should do rather than say oh nobody nobody likes using chatbots so we've just left it that's just a bad chatbot experience. If you yeah. have a good one, people might use it. Mm. Um, so, and I mean, I I can get on my soapbox about this because I, I think it's um, it's stuff that I, when I was in the, the contact center running my own operation, I was like, I wish I'd have had this. I wish I'd have had that. I wish I'd have had the other. Um, and to in certain pockets, we had it, but people didn't share either. So I think it's being open across the, um, the patch to say, right, this is what we've got. This is how you make the most of it. Um, this is the strategy that we've got for using technology to improve the experience of our customers and improve the efficiency and process for our people. And do you think as well that we have to be brave and say, we're going to need to take some people from the operation to work on this with them to make a difference to the operation? Because... I certainly felt a lot of the time in my career, it was, right, we take them off, but then as soon as the hot air balloon of operations started to, to drop a little bit, right, what can we throw out of the basket? Right, throw this project out, because that's about future improvement. <laughs> get get them back in the get them back in the operation. And then yeah. you just because they can because we're good at coping and we're good at filling gaps. Yeah. So, but by doing that, we're not going, you know take time out, let's look at our technology, let's go back to the provider, let's utilize an expert and um, make sure we're making the most out of this, using people that are in the thick of it right now. Let's take them out, let's backfill, let's give someone yeah, an opportunity. I think it's about, I always talk about when when doing like RFPs and stuff, it's, um, and you can get called in to kind of say, right, we want a new telephony system, can you help us? It's like, absolutely what are the requirements of the system? What do you want it to do? And when you start thinking about as a team leader, I want, as a frontline agent, I want, as a senior manager, I want, as an MI analyst, I want. And if you can get really clear on what everybody's wants are and what their, their aspirations are, not let's recreate 
the same, just with a new system. It's like, what doesn't it do that you'd like it to do? What problems does it does the current process cause that you'd like this solution to fix? And I think if you get that from the frontline agents, they'll tell it you in very simple terms. You just have to turn it into tech speak then. Um, but if you can get that across all of the different users, um, it really helps you buy a product that is going to do the thing that you expect it to do rather than what we sometimes find is that we buy it and then like, oh, it doesn't do that. Oh, it doesn't do that. Or this isn't as I expected to do. Or what I hear sometimes, not all the time, but we bought it because the senior leader, the CEO liked it. So that's what we bought uh, rather than this is what we bought because it's what we need. Um, so I think it's, it's getting everybody involved in at an early stage. And then once it's in, proven it to do what it said it should do i love it well we we've nailed that one as well and <laughs> we, we've got, let's carry on doing this another time but for now gary thank you for sharing uh, your expertise i always find it you're a lovely guy but it's always nice to just tap into you you're excellent at just kind of summarizing it and setting it out to in sort of actionable chunks so thanks very much for for sharing that thank buddy. you stroke my ego you pay me later <laughs> <laughs> it's because of your singing voice as well i mean that's something to behold maybe you could <laughs> sing us out uh what was it that i sang um right at the start what was it for some reason i've only got annie in my head now the sun will come out tomorrow <laughs> that'll do <laughs> well, that wasn't the sun will come out tomorrow Bye-bye, um, bye, everyone. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me along. And bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>